0: Well, good evening. Good evening. My name is Thomas as Holly said. I am one of the curates here at Holy Trinity. If you don't know me, it's really wonderful to be speaking to you tonight. Now, as a begin, it comes with a health warning. I'm about to show you a gory picture, okay? So if you're a bit squeamish, you might want to look away. It's pretty disgusting. Maybe, Sam, you could put it on the screen for us. It's pretty gross, isn't it? Fear not, it is only ketchup. As you can see in the bottom left of the screen is a broken bottle of ketchup. You can imagine the scene. It was a case of somebody in our kitchen. They shall be nameless, but their name is Megan Hill. Uh, And They came to the fridge and they opened up the fridge looking for some milk or some chocolate or something exciting. And someone had left open the compartment where the ketchup sits. And it's one of those high up ones. You know what I mean? And it fell, crashed down. Maybe you could just put the picture up again for a minute, Sam. It fell, crashed down onto the pristine white floor and all over, the, this is a dishwasher on the right hand side, all over the door, that's the back door. It was like a massacre. But that isn't even the worst thing. The worst thing was, it's a heated floor. <laughs> it's a heated floor. So we had the knowledge that with every passing second, this ketchup was like binding itself permanently to the surface of our kitchen floor. And it was going, it was going to get grim. It was horrific. And you know that thing where you're scrubbing and scrubbing and it's just not kind of coming off and you you feel like you've got it and you've got like the, the visible bit, but underneath the scummy bit, the really, the bit that smells, you know, after a few days, that was still there. And we couldn't, we just couldn't get, rid of it. Honestly, we roll out every weapon in the armory, the bleach, you know, the floor cleaner, the sif or whatever you call it, that lemon stuff, the disgusting stuff. Um, We even got like the uber mop, you know, like one of those things you see on the advert, video adverts like JML, uber mop, those kind of things. Um, It it, it wasn't good. It didn't. I, I mean, I think eventually after a couple of hours, we managed to sort it out. But suffice to say, nobody has actually pulled that fridge out since it happened, so I dread to think what is underneath that. But that, in a way, there is a connection. Tonight, that is what we are thinking about. We are thinking about getting clean, getting clean. Um, maybe you could move on, give on a break from that slide, Sam. I'm sure they need it. Um, We're focusing on that line that Holly mentioned earlier, um, all about Jesus on the cross. He was crucified, he died and was buried. And a key question for us tonight is this. What happens when the dirt won't come off? What happens when the dirt won't come off? And so to set the scene for tonight, we've got to go all the way back to the beginning, I'm afraid. Like, Go with me on this, bit of heavy lifting to do, but let us I promise you it's worth it. It's really worth it. We've got to go right back to the beginning, all the way back to the beginning, the very start of the Bible, before the Bible was even written. We're talking about Genesis, beginning of time, creation of the universe, when God creates everything. You might know the story. You know, he, he puts Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Everything's good. He says that several times, doesn't he? It's good, it was very good. And he commissions them, he says, go off, be fruitful, um, you know, love and live and, and, and have a great life. And there's only one thing they're not allowed to do. And what is the one thing they do? It's that they eat the fruit from the tree. And this has serious repercussions. Um, we're just going to look really quickly at Genesis chapter 3, verse 23-24. It's going to appear on the screen. Brilliant, thank you. This is what happens after they've eaten the fruit the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden. He sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that word cherubim, I think of like cute, chubby babies. Anybody else, like those things? Do you know what I mean? You see them on Christmas cards and it's like people say, oh, it's a nice little cherub. That's definitely not what we're talking about here. They wouldn't make good bouncers, would they? If they were there to stop the people coming back, they would be the worst kind of, you know, they, yeah, it wouldn't stop me getting in a nightclub. They, they are not cherubim. Cherubim actually look a bit like this guy. So it's more like you wouldn't mess with him, would you? If they had, he had a flaming sword. So he's going to be pretty tough. He looks a bit like Thor with kind of wings, doesn't he? Um, I mean we don't really we don't know what they would have looked like but they were basically they were warrior angels um, and they were you know you wouldn't you would not mess with them they were there to, to, to guard the way to God and I, I joke about it but this is how seriously God takes sin and cleanness God is um, perfect God is spotless and because of their, their, their sin, Adam and Eve have, have made themselves blemished. They, they've made themselves dirty. And because God is so holy and spotless and Adam and Eve are so not holy, they can't bear his presence anymore. If they tried to get close, they would just drop down dead. So it's not that God doesn't love them. It's not he's sending them away because he doesn't love them. It's, it's the opposite. He's put this, these cherubim there, these mighty warrior angels, to stop them coming close because otherwise they'll die. They're basically like a kind of um, a big keep out sign saying, don't come close or you'll die. It's for their own protection. So here's the situation then. We've got humans on earth, um, imperfect And dirty, and we've got God um, in heaven, perfect and clean. And there's um, a massive warrior angel, definitely not a, a cute baby, a warrior angel blocking the way. There is no relationship. The humans can't get close. But hold on a minute. We know from this series that God is Yahweh, God is the Lord. And that means that he, he stands with his people. Holly talks about this in week two with the Father's love. He, sta- he, wants, he wants to chase after his people. He wants to gather them in. He keeps pursuing us. So surely in light of that, he is not going to settle for this kind of situation, this breakdown of relationship. He's going to find a way somehow for Adam and Eve's um, children, their their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren and beyond to get close to him again. A way for them to get clean enough to get near to him. And that's where we uh, land tonight in the Bible passage that we're going to be looking at. Now, it's from uh, the book of Hebrews, which is basically, it's a letter uh, that was written to the earliest Christians just after Jesus had died and and risen again and gone to heaven. And um, we're going to hear the first bit from chapter 9, which is all about, the writer is basically talking about this plan that God had to bring people back into relationship with him. Holly's going to read to us.
1: Hebrews 9 from verse nine. That first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. There were two rooms in that tabernacle. In the first room were a lampstand, a table, and sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain, and behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place. In that room were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the ark were a gar- jar of gold containing manna, a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of divine glory, whose wings stretched out over the ark's cover, the place of atonement. But we cannot explain these things in detail now. When these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place, and only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented was still in use. This is an illustration pointing to the present time, for the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. For that old system only deals with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established.
0: Thank you so much, Holly. That's wonderful. So here's the deal then. Effectively, what we just heard there, there, there was basically God made an agreement with his people, which he called a covenant, right? And God, God said to them, if you regularly offer up something which is costly to you, so it could be like a, um, a lamb or, or, or a goat, um, you're, you, you're kind of, if you offer that up to me, you're saying sorry for letting me down. You bring it to the priests, the priests sacrifice it, and um, you, that's it. That's all you need to do. You can consider yourselves clean, It sounds a bit weird to our kind of modern ears, this idea of sacrifice, but that was how it worked, and it was like this idea of offering up something that was costly. But to do that, you had to bring your sacrifice to a place called the tabernacle, which was basically like a huge tent, and it was divided into these two kind of areas. The first bit, as we read in the reading, was called the, the holy place. And that was a bit exclusive, so regular folks like you and me couldn't go in there. Um, it was only the priests who could go in there. They could go about their daily work and perform these sacrifices in the holy place. And then there was this big kind of thick dividing curtain uh, that separated the other room, which was called the Most Holy Place, the Holy of Holies. And that was where the presence of the living God actually dwelt. So it was like a, in the form of a cloud over the Ark of the Covenant. That was like... You know, we read in Genesis, the tree of life. That was God's presence in the most holy place. And you may have picked it up in that reading. This part of the the, the tent was like super exclusive. Only one person was ever allowed in there, the high priest. And even he could only go in on one day per year called the Day of Atonement. It was a special day. And on that day, the high priest had, to, had, he had a special, extra special sacrifice to offer up to God, which was to kind of cover over the sins and the selfishness of all the people. Even the stuff they didn't even know that they'd done wrong, the things they'd done in ignorance. Now we know, don't we, from hearing the story of Adam and Eve that God is spotless and perfect. So... You know, if he's clean, when unclean people try to get close, you know, we're all sinful when we try and get close. Again, this happened in the Old Testament, people try and get into the Holy of Holies, and they just get struck down dead. Their presence cannot bear God's holiness. So there was this thick curtain, which I've mentioned, that separated it to stop people going in. And this is really important, because you know, remember the cherubim that we mentioned before, the, the guardian angel standing outside the garden... There were images of cherubim embroidered onto this curtain that was between the Holy of Holies and the holy place. And everyone in Israel would have known what that meant. It was like, keep out. Don't come close or you'll die. so there we have it God sets up this system which means we can sort of live with him but it's not really a meaningful relationship isn't it you know I have to turn up every now and again with a a sheep or a a goat and give it to somebody else who sacrifices it and then I, I can't you know I can't really go any further I can't talk to God he won't talk to me it's not that doesn't sound to me like relationship and also you know I'm clean because I've said sorry and I've offered my sacrifice but But what happens if I mess up again, which I'm bound to do at some point? Verse 9 in that uh, section that Holly uh, read to us sums it up. We're going to be a slide in just a second. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. Do you see what that's saying? They're only working on the outside. It's a little bit like me with my ketchup. You know, it's scrubbing the surface, but it's not, it's not getting underneath. It's dealing with the symptom, but it's not dealing with the problem. We're still dirty, and those keep out signs are still there. Don't come close, or you'll die. So, I promise you it's not all doom and gloom. Where can we go? What's the solution? How can we really get clean? We're going to have the second part of our reading from Hebrews 9 now, beginning at verse 11. going to appear on the screen again.
1: So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of the created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, He entered the most holy place for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sins and sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins that they had committed under the first covenant.
0: Here's our solution. It's Jesus. He is the centre of the story right from the beginning of time. Right the way back in the garden. He, he was, he is, he always will be the way that we get really clean. The old system of, of worship, the, the tents, the sacrifices, the priests, the curtains, it all points to Jesus. Jesus. We've heard in the past couple of weeks of this series that Jesus is both completely God and completely human. He is the only spotlessly perfect human who has ever lived. He's the only totally clean human that there has ever been. He was with God right at the beginning, and yet he came to live and to die and to suffer as one of us. He was arrested unjustly. He was whipped. He was made to carry his own crossbeam. And he was left to hang and die of suffocation. But you know what? That isn't the most significant thing about Jesus' death. It's not the suffering. All of us, die. we're going to die at some point, right? No matter how young we are right now. And plenty of people get, sadly, plenty of people get wrongfully arrested and, you know, convicted. And and, and many people go to their deaths for what they believe every single year. There's nothing, as sad as it is to say, there's nothing remarkable or unique about that. Don't misunderstand me. It's, It's really important that we understand what Jesus went through when he suffered on the cross. But it's more important that we understand why he did it. And that is unlocked by this passage that Holly's just read to us. I'm just going to read verses 12 to 14 again. Just three short verses because they're really important. They're going to appear on the screen. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. He deals with the stuff that we could never deal with on our own. The old system, the tent and the sacrifices, it got rid of the the surface stuff, you know, the the ketchup you can see. But underneath the horrible and rotten stuff, like the ketchup goo, the stinky stuff, it was still there. The old system didn't deal with it. But the new system, the Jesus system, it, it, it cleans us completely. And it works from the inside out we don't have to keep coming back and trying harder he's done it once at all time. it said it in the text this is a one time thing we don't have to keep coming back with our sacrifices every year Jesus is like the most powerful floor detergent he's like the JML Uber mop times one billion there's going to be nothing left when he's finished and do you know how I can say that with confidence just look at what happened at the exact moment that Jesus died. I'm going to read a couple of verses from Matthew's Gospel from chapter 27. It should be appearing on the screen. Thank you. Then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. Do we grasp The significance of that those big keep out signs don't come close or you'll die just ripped ripped into at the very moment that Jesus died and at that moment the message to us changed instead of being don't come close or you'll die the message changed to I died so you could come close About um, 20 years ago, um, when I was much younger, uh, I made a a really poor decision, a really bad choice, that I knew God didn't want me to make. But I was in a difficult situation and I regretted it almost immediately. The specifics don't really matter, I'm not gonna go into the detail, but the thing was, in my mind, this thing that I'd done was so awful and the consequences were so significant that I just felt dirty. I felt like I couldn't scrub the dirt off. And no matter how many times I came back to God and, and said, sorry, because I had done this thing knowing that I, you know, I knew that I was doing the wrong thing when I did it, because, because I knew it was wrong, I just had this sense that God couldn't really fully make me clean and forgive me. It hovered in the background, it stopped me talking to God properly, and I was pretty confident He wasn't going to talk to me. It became a barrier, a curtain. It was like a keep out sign in my relationship with Him. So I just had this horrible thing in my heart for like years, like, properly years. And then one summer, it was about five years later, I was away um, with some friends at a Christian conference. If I'm honest, I don't really remember much about it. Um, I think there was a little bit similar to tonight. There was a time of worship, somebody did a talk, and then there was a call for prayer ministry. And you know what? I just, I just, As I stood there, I just thought, I've had enough of feeling dirty, of walking around with the weight of this awful thing on my shoulders. I think... If I'm honest, I think I felt that if somebody else who was cleaner than me prayed for forgiveness, then God would listen to them rather than listen to me. That's the reason I went forward. So I went forward for prayer. I found these two guys who were ready to pray on the ministry team and I told them the situation. I said, I just want to feel clean. I want God to forgive me this thing that I've done. And I'll never forget this moment. Like it was as soon as they started praying, like one of the guys just stopped and he said, like there's no point in us continuing here because God has just said to me clear as day that he has forgiven you. He forgave you ages ago and you just don't need to come back. You don't need to keep asking. He's already forgiven you. I cannot describe to you the feeling of joy and freedom I had in that moment of knowing that wonderful promise of God's complete cleanness and forgiveness. It just all lifted off, all of the weight, just lifted off in a moment. You know, maybe, maybe you've heard this before, maybe this is the first time you're hearing it, but, you know, I'd been a Christian for like six or seven years when that happened and I still hadn't grasped that God could really make me clean in Jesus. No matter matter how selfish our selfishness is, no matter how sinful our sinfulness is, no matter how dirty our dirtiness is, Jesus makes us clean. I want you to hear that tonight. So as I finish, I just want to ask you, do you really know... The reality of that truth tonight. Do you feel clean? Are you weighed down by shame, like awful thoughts that you've had that you think, you know, if God knew, that'd be it? Terrible things you've said or done in a hidden place. Let me tell you tonight clearly and unequivocally there is nothing that you have thought or said or done that God cannot and God will not forgive you for. One of my favourite authors, a guy called Dane Ortland, puts it like this. He says, the things about you that make you cringe most make him hug hardest. The dirtier our floor gets, the more powerful his mop is. Jesus loves to make us spotless. That's the truth. It's not like he doesn't begrudge it. He loves it. He wants to make us clean. That's why tonight's message is so important. You know, we've been following this series on the Creed. Every line of the Creed is true. We believe everything we say. But the truth is without the cross, there is no relationship. So if you're trapped in the old reality, you know that, don't get close or you'll die. I want to invite you into the reality that Jesus invites you into. Because he died, you can get close. No more guilt. No more shame. No more dirt. No more keep out signs. This, this is your new reality. curtain ripped in two you can walk straight through into the presence of the king because jesus died tonight you can come close
1: to him amen